officially welcome uh, Minister uh, Marianne Monsef uh, to the stream, as well as uh, Sarah Minnis as well. Um, uh, Minister Monsef, thank you so much for joining us here at Canada 2020. It's a pleasure to be here, Alex. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Minister Monsef. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me, Alex. I'm delighted to be here today with the Honorable Miriam Monsef, Minister for Women and Gender Equality and Rural Economic Development. Um, it's it's very exciting for people that don't know me, which maybe a lot of people on the call don't. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Guelph and also a past president of the Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation. I suggest you check us out if you don't know who we are at crrf.ca. Um, and I'm also a strong rural advocate. Um, through the many hats that I wear in the world of rural, I've had the opportunity to work collaboratively with uh, Minister Monsef and her staff, and I'm so honoured to be here today to dig into a riveting discussion about rural broadband in Canada. It will be hard to top, though, our previous session. Um, so I'll just hand it back then to Minister Monsef to say a few words. Thank you so much, Sarah and, and Alex. Bonjour, Anin, salam alaikum. I join you live from my basement in Peterborough, Coberta, on traditional territory, Williams Treaty territory, the home of the Michisagi. I've been here for about 20 years, uh, a little more, 20, 24 years, actually. And this is the only place that I've ever belonged. Uh, I want to thank Canada 2020 and everybody who is working so hard in these very difficult circumstances to keep their families safe, to ensure that their teams are okay, and to hold our communities together. This is a big, beautiful country. The strength of our connections is what has helped us fare as well as we have during the crisis. And it'll be these connections that will carry us through the winter and beyond the pandemic. Maybe what I'll share, uh, Sarah, with, with the very thoughtful people who've joined is a quick overview of what the Universal Broadband Fund brings to the table and how it's different from, from previous uh, proposals that have come forward, what the intention here is, uh, and, and share with you my perspective as a, as a mixed rural urban MP. I represent Peterborough Kawartha, it includes the city of Peterborough, it includes several rural townships, and of course, it includes Curve Lake First Nation. Curve Lake being one of those communities that is slowly but surely moving ahead with finally getting clean drinking water. Uh, and it is also the place, uh, home to Chief Elsie Knott, the first woman to be elected chief of the First Nation in Canada. Uh, and following her are a long line of strong women who are rocking it, including the current chief, Emily Wheatung. Uh, I wanna share with you what the Universal Broadband is very quickly. First of all, this is the second program of our government. The first one was the Connect to Innovate program. I call that the 1.0. This is the 2.0. Uh, the Connect to Innovate program supported over 220 different projects in close to a thousand communities as Simon Kennedy, my wonderful, hardworking, wears many different hats, Deputy Minister shared in the earlier uh, panel. That work is underway. Tens of thousands of Canadians are getting connected because of the work we started in 2016. So the Universal Broadband Fund is part two of uh, a coordinated effort by our government to get every household connected to this essential service. Uh, 
The other thing that sets the universal broadband apart and aside is that it is actually part of a plan. Uh, I get a lot of questions, Sarah laughs, and you would think that there is a plan for, for a big country like ours to get connected. A lot of the skepticism that I've heard in the year that I've been on this job is while governments have been promising this for 20 plus years, the truth is it's not until 2019 that the government of Canada and Canadians actually had a plan to get connected. The people this program is meant to support is those who live in the communities that are hardest to reach, where the business case to move ahead simply is not there because of the complexities in geography and the smaller population densities. The other piece that I've heard a lot of over the year that I've been on this file has been, you know, communities are restless and they were restless, rightfully so, even before COVID. Those 220 plus projects that are connecting, you know, a million Canadians uh, to this essential service, you know, people want to know where the project is at. Are we there yet? Are we going to get connected? Wh which, you know, announcements were made? Where are we with those? There is now an online tracker for community leaders and individuals themselves to, you know, find their project in their community and figure out exactly which stage it's at. And that level of transparency is one component of including Canadians in these very complex projects. The other way this program is different than others is that we have a partnership in place with Stats Canada to start collecting data on how the connectivity piece is making a difference for communities and households and businesses. And these numbers are going to be essential, as we know, Rural Canada never fully recovered from the 2008 recession. And, you know, the numbers just went away in the 10 years before our government. That data was taken away and we are filling in a lot of those knowledge gaps with this partnership. We also heard from municipalities before and after COVID. The, the ones who are, you know, hearing the most from their communities that, you know, 60% of us have five or fewer staff working with us. And we've got a lot on our plates. And then COVID hit. And then, you know, the responsibilities for these incredible community leaders uh, increased tenfold. They said, we need help. We need capacity. We need somebody to help, you know, hold our hand through this process and make sure that we put forward the best applications possible. Otherwise, we get outcompeted every single time. And because this program is for them, and because our liberal MPs, and I'll say our opposition colleagues too, made such a clear case for this, we were able to introduce a concierge service, a pathfinder, a one-stop shop, if you will where you pick up the phone, you know, call, pick up the phone, and on the other end of the phone are some of Canada's smartest engineers and projects managers, uh, project managers, I call them the super nerds, who can actually help navigate this very complex ecosystem and process with you so that, you know, if, if you're a small community or a small ISP trying to put forward your bid, we can help connect you. Our maps are more precise. The hexagon model is gone. We want to make sure that we leave no one behind. We've also, of course, heard as as one of the speakers in the in the previous session spoke. Um, this is a there's there are a lot of cooks in this kitchen, and rightfully so. 
uh, from satellite to backbone to last mile to 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 fiber to cell to to provinces territories indigenous communities uh the regulator there are a lot of people working to connect canadians to this essential service and the government of canada has stepped up with this fund and said we will help with the coordination here we will, and we've done that work with the Universal Broadband Fund. We've even shared our application forms with, with our partners, for example, in provinces who are getting ready to roll out with their programs, Ontario being a really good example, so that we're able to ensure that we make it as easy as possible. We stretch every dollar to its maximum, and we ensure the most efficient way forward, because rightfully so, Canadians want us to keep moving. So what does the program entail there is uh you know 2.75 billion dollars for the Canada Infrastructure Bank to support higher impact projects that connect a large number of households and businesses that uh, entity being an arm's length entity uh will will be a source please feel free to reach out if you have ideas for them we heard also the need for a rapid response as part of our COVID response. There are communities who have really good ideas right now, from, from putting antennas on households to, to you know replicating that model of driving into the Tim Hortons. Families are packing their kids into the car and they're pulling up into those parking lots just so their kids can do their homework. Well, in Canada, we can do better. In the short term, though, we've heard that there are large community centers that are empty right now with big parking lots, and they don't have connectivity to 5010 right now, but communities have told us, what if we connected that community center and people could come into that parking lot? Would you be open to that? And yes, the answer is yes. The $150 million rapid response stream, we are looking for those good ideas. Send them to us. We will process them within days so that hopefully come Christmas, communities have some certainty about what's coming up in the new year. There's also the core UBF program. This is uh, $1 billion uh, and it's meant to support those longer term projects with fiber, that future proofing that is necessary. These projects take a little bit more time uh, and we're ready to support communities every step of the way uh, with the core UBF. We also heard in the response to the inquiry on missing and murdered indigenous women and girls that there are too many stretches of roads and highways across this country where too many tragedies and violations occur. And without access to cell service, without any broadband, when emergencies occur, there's no way to call for help. We've heard that communities in danger have no way to be notified of whether it's natural disaster or otherwise without this essential service. So part of what we've included in the program the Prime Minister launched on Monday is a separate stream, $50 million for mobile projects, particularly ones that support Indigenous communities so that we can better address too many highways of tears across the country. So, Sarah, I've, I've given you a, a very quick overview of, of the different aspects of this program. I'll leave it with this and then we'll go into um, what I hope is a, is a super nerdy and super fun chat. Um, this is the, the program we've designed. This is a program that Canadians help shape. This is your plan. This is the plan that you asked for. You asked us to consider that the most important word in the whole thing be 
flexibility for backbone, for last mile, for mobiles, for, you know, flexibility with capacity of uh, the various entities who would be applying. We heard you and we delivered. And at this point, the ball is in your court. We are looking to get projects from you for the rapid response and for the core UBF and uh, for um, the Canada Infrastructure Bank. They'll be receiving those applications separately. But we're looking for those applications. And my team and I are looking for a way to get to a yes with you at this point in the pandemic. On the, you know, uh, as we look ahead to a very long and difficult winter. We think about vaccine rollout and the recovery from the pandemic. We cannot afford to leave anyone behind. And as you look at our competitors and, and our partners around the world, they are investing in broadband. And when this thing is over, the, the transition to the digital economy will have been, you know, moved ahead light years and Canada cannot afford to be left behind. As, as Barack Obama said, the world needs more Canada and we need to stay connected as Canadians to get through the next you know, difficult chapter and come out on the other side stronger and more resilient than ever. The Universal Broadband Fund and our government's investments in connectivity are a foundational piece to get us there. Thank you so much, Minister Monsef. Um, it's been an exciting week, certainly, with a further announcement with more funding for the UVF and uh, anyone that lives and works in rural or works with communities like myself. Um, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty exciting. But before we talk more about, uh, say, the impact of the pandemic, as well as the Universal Broadband Fund, which I do have a few questions about specifics, um, how about we get to why this matters and why this is so important for rural areas, especially for people on the call that may not be familiar with the issue. Um, prior to COVID and all this happening and clearly reasons, COVID reasons, that we need internet, uh, what did um, rural broadband look like in Canada and how big was that divide between rural and urban? I think one of the previous speakers described it very well as a patchwork quilt, uh, where the business case was strong, where the density, population density was high, you know, really important investments were made for quality uh, infrastructure. Um, and, you know, 98% of Canadians living in urban centers have access, but two thirds of Indigenous communities do not. 60% of rural communities do not. And what that what that actually means right now is for those who have parents in long-term care, there is no way to stay connected with them. For those who are doing their best to learn online, uh, like a young woman who, who was on The Current uh, earlier this week, a, a brilliant, articulate Inuk woman studying at McGill you know, should be able to have every opportunity to get ahead, to, to speak for her community, to contribute to, to you know, her own professional development and, and our country's uh, growth. She doesn't have access to high-speed internet right now, and she has to leave her community, go to a hotspot of the virus just so she can continue her online learning. It means businesses on main streets, you know, particularly right now, who are ready to pivot and expand their markets and, and create greater jobs 
don't don't have that uh, aren't able to have that path to the next stage of their viability. And you know, I'll, I'll I'll say this to you, Sarah. Somebody like me comes to this country, and within twenty years gets to put their name on a ballot, and you know gets to represent the community that's given her so much. I I used to I used to uh, you know stay in a shelter. I I relied on food banks. I was able to complete my studies and work at the same time. And when I got that that blackberry pearl, I got a red blackberry pearl, and that was the beginning of my productivity going up, my ability to build networks and, you know, stay connected, increase. And I honestly, I've kept that BlackBerry, obviously, but there are too many Canadians, millions of Canadians whose potential is not achieved because of this one precondition to their success, which is connectivity. And we can't afford that. Yes, and I know in a lot of rural places, sometimes they are checked off in that hexagon model of being serviced, but uh, don't always have reliable service. Uh, for example, my parents live 40 minutes outside of North Bay, and they do have high-speed internet, but it's constantly going out depending on the weather. Um, self-service is always disrupted, uh, and even landline service is sometimes disrupted, along with you know all sorts of other services that it's just become kind of the way of life in rural, and unfortunately, it, it really shouldn't be. I was actually just in virtually in North Bay uh, with Embroda earlier this morning. And yes, the hexagon model is gone. Thanks to everybody who pushed for it to be gone, for our maps to be more precise. And we're sharing those maps. But yes, you know, there, the, the frustrations that I've read in correspondence that has come from folks who live a stone's throw away from centers where the connectivity is there in those suburban communities, as well as communities like North Bay, those stories have been top of mind for us in developing this program. And for people that don't know what the hexagon model is, it's been largely criticized by everyone um, where there's all sorts of patches that you may have um, patches within the hexagon that are serviced. So the whole section is checked off as serviced, but there's patches within that hexagon that are not serviced with high speed Internet. Um, so maybe just while we're talking about it, what what are you what has been replaced with the hexagon model? So the the new maps, so the hexagon model, um, and I have a hard time believing that anyone but those who are like deeply involved in the broadband ecosystem are, are on this call. But if so, hi. Um, but under the hex, hexagon model, the coverage information um, was previously available by area of 25 square kilometers or more. Now it's down to... 250 meter road segments, which means we have a much more detailed picture of the gaps. Uh, and it's going to make sure that we leave, we don't leave people behind. And we're continuously improving the precision of those maps to ensure that, you know, this foundational piece to every project is as tight and as accurate as it can be. That's great. That's wonderful to hear. Um, so as we know, and you've mentioned some of the, the impacts specifically of COVID-19 and how it's exposed and exasperated uh, pre-existing challenges, the pandemic has forced us to stay inside and rely more on technology for pretty much everything um, to continue in life professionally, socially, educationally. 
Um, and there's been certainly that uh, digital by defaults approach that has impacted kind of how everybody has been doing business thus far. And we've seen that um, certainly with how education has been delivered, uh, health services, and even accessing government programs like the Canada Emergency Response Benefit Claims, um, which also gets into not only you know, having high-speed internet, but also having that digital literacy to ensure that those residents either who are new to high-speed internet, who maybe have, have taken advantage of some of the funding and they're new to high-speed internet, um, that they're aware of, you know, how to use the technology that comes with it. And they have the technical skills and the know-how on how to use the information and communication um, technologies that they have. Um, is there anything as part of the universal broadband um, funding that that speaks to that digital literacy component. So I, I, I'm the minister responsible for, for rural economic development. And my number one priority at this point is getting the, the highest possible quality applications in for rapid response and for the core UBF, because you know, that the precondition to all of that is, is the basic access to a quality, uh, quality connection. So I, I will put that there and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave another piece over here maybe. And that is, we've done parliament by zoom. We've done meetings, uh, online We're we're learning online. I, you know, I, a few, uh, just before this call, I was talking to my partner, he's in Fredericton, I'm in Peterborough. I think that we can all agree that there's no substitute to, to the personal connections. There's no substitute to being in the room. And so I, I, I think that there's a really important balance to maintain to, to preserving those connections and those relationships, which, you know, predate internet. That said, I truly believe that the Universal Broadband Fund is the best thing since the internet uh, because it will provide people with, with that access. My colleague, Minister Baines, has been a big part of this work too for, for, for many more years than I have. There's, there's another piece with, with, uh, with this program, with, with you know, the digital uh, economy, which you rightfully touched on, which is you know, the labor force that we're going to need to shape the future of our economy to shape the next generation of these technologies has to be literate, but also the people who are consuming this need to have those skills. Uh, Minister Baines has done a really good job at supporting and securing funds, for example, for CanCode to make sure that our kids, particularly our daughters, have a pathway to getting into the, the tech sector, which is you know, good paying jobs. We need these this particular sector to grow so that Canada's economy can remain competitive. But, you know, this is a sector where only 26% are women and those women get paid 26% less than their male counterparts for, for the same work. So so there's, there's work to be done in evening out that playing field. For me, the priority right now is ensuring that those towers and antennas and fiber and whatever creative solutions are there to get people connected are there. But, you know, one of the things that Canada going for it and my own officials are a really good example of this, like Simon Kennedy, we have some of the world's best and brightest and most talented people, the most talented professionals in this sector now. And Canada, particularly with the Universal Broadband Fund uh, launch now, is set, you know, well positioned to outcompete our partners globally. And a big part of that will be maintaining and supporting the talent to do that. So 
that's part two, part one right now. First things first, we got to get people connected so that the, the pandemic itself is a bit more bearable for them. That's great. And I was so glad to hear about you know the plan for the funding and <laughs> your emphasis on that actually is a plan. The online tracker will be so useful for communities as well as the data component, um, something we've been pushing, certainly real researchers have been pushing for for a long time. And the concierge service, I think, will be really important for bringing people who have you know shovel-worthy projects that maybe aren't necessarily ready to go right away in terms of an application, but working with communities on that is so important. Um, we know that a certain hurdle in this country is that we have very few telecommunications providers. Uh, how do you plan to keep pressure on them to maintain low internet rates for rural and urban Canadians? And is the government prepared to take legislative action to further regulate the telecommunications market? Or would the government be perhaps willing to follow a model like SaskTel and offer a Crown Corporation alternative? All very important questions. I'll, I'll tell you that the the broadband fund has included, I call them mega consultations, um, with all sorts of service providers, larger ones, smaller ones, indigenous communities, uh, municipalities, uh, Canadians themselves, and a component of eligibility for the Universal Broadband Fund is being able to demonstrate, first of all, that your price point is going to be reasonable and provide that affordability. Another, particularly for backbone projects, uh, there's a requirement to share access, which will lead to greater uh, stability and uh, competitiveness. In addition uh, to that, uh, you know, our our folks uh, and Simon is uh, is well aware of this. Uh, the regulator is is doing its work, and and we're supporting uh, and waiting for for some conversations to be had around uh, passive infrastructure. And the next steps on, on sharing the, the polls and, and the assets that one of your previous speakers spoke about. The priority right now is to roll out the program. And for me, that, you know, the precondition to, uh, you know, affordability, the precondition to uh, a green recovery, the precondition to a she recovery, a full recovery is making sure that that access is there in the first place. There's a recognition too around, uh, you know, the affordability piece being about value for money. Right now, there are too many rural Canadians who are paying too high of a cost for very poor internet and making sure that they have adequate service, that no one is left behind is, is my priority. Minister Baines is working very hard with industry partners to lower the cost, and we are committed to lowering the cost for connectivity for families. Uh, there's a there's a ten dollar a month plan, for example, for families uh, with children, uh, and and there's more work to be done with telcos. That work is moving ahead, uh, but for now, if if you know, get those applications in to us. Best Christmas gift that you can give me and my team is a surge of applications that for a few days overwhelm us. Uh, but really, that would be the best next step for us forward. And Minister Baines has the affordability portfolio in very good hands. 
Great. Okay. I just have one more question and then we're going to open um, the Q&A up to folks. So uh, ensure you put your questions in the Q&A box or in the comment section if you're visiting us via YouTube. So my last question is, uh, a few weeks ago, we saw the launch of Apple's latest smartphone, the iPhone 12, which has 5G capabilities. This phone and many others are ready for the next stage in communications and connectivity. Can you talk to us a bit about the plans for 5G connectivity in this country and how the government plans to manage um, the urban-rural divide? Um, a big part of managing the rural-urban divide is ensuring that rural Canadians are able to see themselves in our policies. Um, a rural lens is applied to our COVID response, for example. This is the first time ever. And the broadband fund, the universal broadband fund was developed by them for them. As you mentioned, though, you know, the scalability of what we're building, the ability of the infrastructure to meet even higher needs is a key consideration. Um, you know, where where fiber is the best option, we're going to go ahead with it. Um, it can it can be scaled up to greater speeds. And there are, as you said, other technologies that are going to be needed to help meet the needs of Canadians both now and in the future. Those technologies are under review and the security and the privacy of Canadians and the well-being of Canadians will be top of mind in, in making those decisions around, uh, you know, uh, these, these uh, you know, beyond the good enough approach that you had spoken about, uh, these, these greater capabilities. That's that's great. Uh, we often get into the you know issue where targets become floors, as uh, my colleague Ashley Whedon would say, and Wayne Kelly. Um, the targets you know mentioned in the Universal Broadband Fund, which is the fifty megabytes per um, second download speeds and the ten megabytes for, per second upload speeds, it's quickly becoming um, out of date uh, as we as we move into the future. Um, so, was there plans specifically in the in the UBF that, um, or plans, you know, with the federal government that over the years, as technology changes, um, to also adapt that target download and upload speeds to ensure that rural areas don't lag behind? Absolutely. And um, so, you know, this was one of the first questions I asked when when I got this job is how do we future proof our investments? Yeah, where fiber is an option, that's that's where we're going to go communities right now who have, you know, five, one, you know, what the baseline, the bare minimum we want to get them to is 50, 10. But of course, in our analysis and assessment of the applications that come forward, we will be favoring those who are able to go beyond that benchmark, because absolutely, these these projects take time, it costs money, a lot, you know, people decide where they're going to live based on where there is connectivity. And we want to make sure that, that you know, in a few years from now, uh, the next person in my chair will be able to say, okay, they made some good decisions. They, they looked ahead. They prepared for the future. Um, the, our colleagues from Telesat were, were on the line. They're a really important part of the puzzle as well in communities where fiber is not an option, where satellite technology is the only way forward. We've seen in studies, for example, at, in, in Michigan, they've done studies where they've compared the different satellite options that have come forward. 
And the Canadian option, Telesat, has been recognized as the most um, responsive and the best quality option with the technologies they're offering. So Canadians can rest assured that we're going to do everything we can to set us up for technologies and opportunities that we haven't even thought about right now, but are able to scale up our investments to meet those future needs. That's so important. Um, we always worry about with these types of fundings, you know, someone that works directly with communities and communities um, that these funding doesn't create winners and losers or they don't pit communities against each other to, you know, go for a small, the same pot of, of funding. I know there's different funding streams available with the UBF. Um, do you feel that there's, you know, enough to go around for every community to get every community, say everybody applies who's not currently connected? Is there enough to go around? This is the single largest investment in broadband in Canada's history. In fact, if you add up the investments that our government's made over the past four or five years, they are 10 times higher than all previous governments invested in broadband before us. And yeah, so this program is what Canadians ask for. The best possible problem that we could encounter is such a high demand with high quality projects that my colleagues and I need to go back to our wonderful Deputy Prime Minister, our Finance Minister, Christia Freeland and the Prime Minister and say, folks, the demand is so high, the, the business case is there, this is an essential service, could we add to these funding envelopes? So for the rapid response stream, which closes mid-January, it's first come, first serve, and we'll fund up to $5 million worth of applications for the core UBF. The first intake closes mid-February. We really look forward to supporting high-quality applications to come forward. I really hope that the demand will be so, so high that we'll have to make the case for additional investments. But at this time, I can assure you that the numbers we've come up with are based on extensive conversations with our partners across the country. And we look forward to rolling those dollars out. They're ready. We're waiting for you. Very smart officials are waiting on the other end of the phone and the line to process those applications as quickly as they come in. That's great to hear. Um, so we do have a question from the audience. Uh, a previous speaker mentioned trying to launch connectivity programs in rural areas for use with industry, mines, pipelines. Will the UBF provide funding for projects with primarily industry-based uses related to the energy section or sector? Sorry. That's an excellent question. Um, I'll, I'll speak about how we're measuring our connections at this point, and I'll speak to who is eligible, mostly by talking about who's not eligible. Um, the, the targets right now are based on the numbers of households connected. That's it. That does not preclude businesses and, and you know, other public entities. As I said, we have a partnership with StatsCan to, to developing this data. So there is absolutely room for that. The private sector is definitely uh, included as an eligible partner. The only people who cannot apply are individuals and, you know, agencies of the crown. Uh, so Parks Canada, for example, or, or you know, FedDev, the regional development agencies cannot cannot apply. As long as you're applying for a, you know, region or community that does not currently have access to 5010. 
as long as you're applying with an ISP on board to move your project forward, we should talk. Great. We have another question from the audience. Um, what were the main causes for the delay in launching the UBF? It seemed like it was ready to go in June, but did not actually launch until this month. What were the barriers? That's a really good question. Um, we were ready to go actually in March um, and then the pandemic hit. And we had to make sure that we were ready to process applications without delay. And we had to make sure that we were ready to process a rapid response stream in a really thoughtful way. Something like this has never existed before. So we took the time to get it right because Canadians are counting on us to get this right. The, the product that we've launched earlier this week is very much in line with what we heard across the country. I was speaking to our partners at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities on Monday, and they said, you know, we told you it's better to take your time and get it right. You got it right. This is a really good day for rural Canada. And now that this thing is ready to go, folks, the ball is in your court. We are looking for those applications that have been, you know, ready to go. We will not miss a construction season the rapid response stream. We will process applications within a matter of days because we took the time to set up the infrastructure behind the scenes to get it uh, out the door as quickly as possible. So we're ready. Uh, and I know that Canadians are too. Wonderful. Well, I'm being told we have to wrap things up now. I know that we could talk all afternoon, but thank you so much, Minister Monsef, for joining us today and sharing your insights and good news about rural broadband investments and plans in Canada. And as usual, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Also, thank you to everyone who's joined. Thank you so much, Sarah. I hope that you all take care of yourselves. We're we're going to be counting on you every step of the way to implement this right. I know that we've already asked a lot of you. Uh, so please stay safe, take good care and, you know, stay with us. We need we need to get this done right for generations who will come after us. And we really appreciate all the ways that you've been solid partners. Uh, I'm going to jump in here too um, and thank you both very, very, very much for spending some time with us today. Um, this event was on our calendar and um, lo and behold, we had plenty to talk about this week. Um, uh, so Minister Monset, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Uh, Sarah, fantastic job um, stick handling the conversation. We've got more questions rolling in here. Um, Minister Monset, I know that your office is very receptive to receiving questions, so we'll make sure that we send them your way. Um, and uh, and uh, to the panel that came previously, uh, Simon, uh, Michelle, uh, Dean and Willa, um, thank you very much for your participation. Um, Minister Monsef, Sarah, you can jump off the call if you want right now. I'm just going to say a few quick words. Thank you very much uh, about what's coming up next in uh, this series. So thanks very much, Sarah. Thank you very much, uh, Minister Monsef. Um, for those of you still on the call here, um, as you can tell, this is a, a series that we're, we're doing here at Canada 2020. Um, the, the next of which will be a, um, uh, a, a conversation that we're hosting next week next Thursday, um, we're going to be shifting our focus to uh, our energy sector, um, 
and the shifting and the transformations happening in Canada's energy market. Uh, the Honourable Seamus O'Regan is going to be joining us for that conversation. We're going to have some uh, more details about that soon, but you should be receiving a registration notice of that shortly. Uh, but do stay subscribed to our YouTube channel uh, for, for updates. Hit that little bell thing. Uh, you'll get notifications of when we're going live. Um, thank you very much for joining us and uh, we'll, we'll see you all again. And uh, wherever you are, uh, stay safe and um, stay in touch. Thanks very much.